So we can open our Bibles then to John and chapter 4, the second of the miracles of Jesus. He performed 35 miracles, and seven of them are in this Gospel of John, and five of the seven are in no, uh, none of the other Gospels. The water Jesus turning water into wine is only in John's Gospel. And the parent with a problem is only in John's Gospel. <clears throat> Devastating moments. We've all had them. The phone rings. Someone you love. You love has died. Or maybe... There's been an accident. The person you love has died through an accident or through tragic circumstances. Devastating news. Maybe you've heard a doctor say, this happens, doesn't it? You're in the hospital with a specialist. You've been having chemotherapy, radiotherapy. He so I'm sorry. He'd like to tell you this, but he has to. Sorry, but there isn't anything else we can do. It's only really a matter of time. Tears flow. That's natural. I would say it's essential. You might feel angry. That's understandable. Angry with the world. Maybe you feel angry with God. Why? Why, God, should you allow me to go through this? Devastating moments. Let me tell you about a high-ranking Roman official. Probably worked for King Antipas. Herod Antipas. He lived in Capernaum in Galilee. He may have been a Roman centurion. He was certainly a very high-ranking official in the Roman world. What was his name? I can't tell you. I don't know. Just like we didn't know the name of the bride and groom in John 2, so we don't know the name of this man either. But what I do know is he had a great problem. He was a parent with a problem. So let's ask three questions. The first is, what is the official's problem? What was his problem? Well, we're told there, verse 47, that his son was terminally ill. He was at the point of death. When he goes to Jesus, he says, come down, sir, come down. My child dies. He wants Jesus to come to his house. That's his problem. He's a parent with a problem. He's got a dying son. And he wants Jesus to heal his son. This incident, the parent with the son who was dying, reminds us that trouble <coughs> comes to us all. 
This man was a high official, but it did not exempt him from trouble. No doubt he was wealthy, but he couldn't buy his son a cure. He couldn't give to his son health. His son was dying. But his problem became a blessing in disguise. Because through the problem of his son, Jesus healing the son, this man and his whole family came to believe in the Saviour. They were converted to God, verse 53 tells us that. And so he became a servant of the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this Roman centurion, if that's what he was, joined the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. So trouble comes to us all. doesn't matter who we are. Trouble comes to us all. We know that, don't we? It's part of our experience. But God can turn the trouble and the problem into a blessing, as he did for this official and his family. And if the problem takes us to Jesus, that has got to be a blessing, hasn't it? If it makes us pray more, if it makes us realise that we're weak in ourselves, but we have a mighty, wonderful Saviour, we have a Saviour who feels for us, has compassion for us, that has got to be a blessing. A blessing in disguise. But also, this man, this parent with his problem, reminds us that Sometimes death comes near to those who are young. His son was ill. And I'm assuming that his son was young. And so we learn that death can come knocking at the door of even the young. The young think we've got plenty of years ahead of us. And of course, we wish that for our children, grandchildren, don't we? We pray and wish that they've got many years. Of course we do. But sometimes even the young can be taken ill and die. Even the young can be caught up in an accident and life ends unexpectedly, suddenly. You think it's not fair, but it's a fact of life. But sometimes that happens. The young, and indeed all of us, are not Christians, can think, oh, there's plenty of time. I can think about becoming a Christian when I'm older. I don't need to think about it now. There's plenty of time. I'm so busy. I've got lots of things to do. The young are so busy enjoying themselves. We haven't got time to think about God. And then you get married and children... And you're so busy with your family, providing for the family, so busy caring for the children, earning a living, paying the bills. Middle age comes on. Yes, I've got time, I've got time. I'm so busy at the moment to give any serious thought to spiritual religious things. Before you know where it is, old age comes on. It begins to creep on. Bits of the body don't work like once they did. 
still you're thinking, plenty of time, I can put it we could be like that even as Christians. We think, oh, plenty of time to grow as a Christian, plenty of time to read the Bible, plenty of time to pray, plenty of time to do the things I want to do for God. And the time is slipping by. No, no, the best time now, whatever our age, believe or unbeliever, the best time is to seek God now and to pray to come closer to God now because now is the only time I can be sure of this moment. Is a parent of a problem. It tells us that trouble comes to us all. Of course it does. That's part of life. But God can turn trouble into blessings. And it teaches us that the young, even the young, can be taken ill. Even the young can have to face death. And that's very tragic. It's very sad, isn't it? When someone who's young is taken ill, cut off in their life, before they have time to grow and get employment, get married, have children, raise a family. Even the young can die. And how we need to be urgent then with talking to people about the Saviour. Talk to the young, the children, our children, our grandchildren, in the Sunday school, in the young people's work. We need to be urgent with them. We need to urge them to come to the Lord Jesus now, not tomorrow, now. Come to Christ now. Consider your eternal soul now. You may not have much time. That's how we ought to talk to people about the Lord. You've got a problem. Your greatest problem is sin. And you must take that problem to the Lord Jesus Christ. You must go to him. So what was his problem? His son was dying. He was so ill, he was terminally ill, death seemed to be inevitable. It was inevitable, apart from Christ. <coughs> but here's another question that comes out of this miracle. What did the official do with his problem? Verse 47 tells us, he went to Jesus and asked him, to heal his son. He said, I've got a problem. Take the problem to Jesus. From what I hear of him, maybe the official singing, from what I hear of him, he's the one who can do something for my son. So he goes to Jesus. Come, come to my house and heal my son. So we too should take our problem to Jesus, whatever it is. Is it that I need the Lord? Is it that I need more of his strength? Is it that I feel weak in myself? Is it that I need his guidance in my life? I need him to direct me, to show me which way to go, what to do. Whatever the problem, take it at once to Jesus. As the old hymn puts it, um, take everything to God in prayer. Now some friends, when you go to them, are not very willing to listen, are they? Oh, they've said to you, you can come to me any time if you've got a problem. And when you go to them, you take them at their word, they're not that interested, really. You know, 
by the look on their eyes, they're not really listening to you. And you know that there's not much they can really do or want to do. Oh, we care. No, no, they don't really. Isn't that sad? We all know people like that, don't we? We've all had people say, oh, yeah, just give me a ring. I'll be there. I'm always there for you. And when you take them at their word, they're not there at all, are they? When you're in trouble, you discover who your real friends are. You discover who really means what they say. And this man found that Jesus was concerned. And Jesus was able to do something for him. And he can help us too. When we take all our problems, all our cares, all our anxieties to him. It seems odd that this high-ranking, wealthy Roman official should go to the poor, itinerant carpenter who had become a rabbi. What does he know about the sickness of children? What does he know? He's not trained as a doctor, is he? But the high-ranking official goes to Jesus. Come to my house. And heal my son. Now we read here that um, Jesus had come to uh, Cana, back to Cana, where he turned the water into wine. And this man was in Capernaum. That's about 20 miles away. He could have thought, well, it would be nice to see Jesus. It would be nice to tell him about my problem. But it's a rather long way to go, isn't it? The man says, no, I've got a problem. My son is dying, and it's worth going 20 miles to see this Jesus. And I hope I've got time to get there, bring Jesus back in time before my son dies. 20 miles didn't seem like anything to him. He's got a burden, he's got a son who's dying. And any father would do that, wouldn't he? He'd go miles, he'd go anywhere to get someone to help his child. But why should he go to a rabbi, a preacher rabbi? Aren't there doctors? We must assume that the man had sent for the doctors. He'd spent his money on the doctors and none of them could do anything. They said, we're sorry, we can't do anything. Your son is dying. We haven't got medicines, we haven't got drugs. We don't know what to do. There's nothing we can do. We must assume that he had gone to the doctors. And there isn't anybody. But Jesus, Jesus must be able to help. Stories of the water, turning water into wine in Cana had probably reached Capernaum and everybody was talking about it. If he could turn water into wine, can't he turn my dying boy's uh, health around so that he lives? And in the first part of John 4, we read about Jesus driving out the thieving traders from the temple. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody was talking about Jesus turning water into wine, driving the traders out of the temple. This man is making his mark. Everybody is talking about him. Surely this man could do something for my son. We know that Jesus is God and that's why he turned water into wine? To show that he was God. That's why he was going to cure this man's son. 
It was a sign to declare that he was God. He is God. Of course God could help the boy uh, and help the man and his son. Of course. He's a mighty God that can help us too. We can go to him with all of our sins, all our guilt, all of our problems, all our anxieties, all our cares. We can bring anything and everything to God in prayer, to the Lord Jesus. And because he's God, he hears and he listens and he can do something. He's willing to help and he can help and he will help. Oh, what's 20 miles if he can get healing for his son? We don't have to travel 20 miles, do we? God, though he's in heaven, is listening. The Lord Jesus, though he's no longer on earth, is full of compassion. And he feels for us in all of our troubles. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus, a great high priest, touched with the feelings of our infirmities, moved to his very heart when we are crying with tears. So we don't have to go 20 miles He's at hand. We can pray to him. Now let's look at the way that the official came to the Lord Jesus. It can teach us how to come to the Lord. Whether for salvation or for strength, for his help, for his comfort. Parents with a problem with their children, we can come to the Lord. How should we come to the Lord? How did this official come to him? Well, we read in verse 47 that he asked Jesus. Ask is a rather weak word. In the Greek in which the New Testament was originally written, Jesus was, uh, Greek was widely spoken at the time when John wrote his gospel. The word asked there in the Greek has the idea of he begged Jesus. He implored him, he begged him. He asked, he begged him because if Jesus doesn't listen or do something, then the son is going to die. There's a sense of urgency there. He begged him, he implored him. That's what the word means. And we read that he was direct with Jesus. Verse 47, come down and kill my son. He knew what he wanted and he was going to tell Jesus in the clearest language he could, come and kill my son. He's dying and if you do not kill him then he's going to be dead and I'll be arranging a funeral. That's how we should go to Jesus, not with vague well, maybe, O oh Lord, you could do this, you could do that. No, what I need, O oh Lord, is you to help me. I need you to help my son, my daughter, my grandchild, who's, 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 uh, who's unwell, who's having a problem at school or so on, something. I need you to help me, Lord. This is what I want you to do, O oh God. Come with that kind of directness to God. How can we expect God to answer our prayers when we're so vague about what we want him to do? There's a directness. There's also an earnestness. Verse 47, verse 49, twice he says, come down to my house. He says it once and then he says it again. Come down. He wants Jesus to come and Jesus must come. And if Jesus doesn't come, then his son is going to be dead. There's an earnestness in this man's prayer. And that's how we should come to the Lord, with earnestness. Lord, this is what I want you to do. I want you to come and I want you to help me. I, I can't do anything for myself. I'm at the very end of my resources. 
And if you don't help me, then I'm in a terrible state and I don't know what I'm going to do. That's how to come to the Lord. Imploring him, begging him, directing your prayers, earnest with your prayers. And surely he came with confidence. He knew, he expected Jesus to hear him, to hear him, and to heal his son. There was confidence that Jesus could do it. There was nothing to stop Jesus healing his boy. There's confidence. And that's how we should come to Jesus. Confident that he can save us, he can forgive us. He can help us. He can turn our situation around completely. He can solve the problem. Confidence when you come to him. You don't have to think, well, maybe he could and maybe he couldn't. You may go to a friend for help and you're not sure whether they will help you or whether they can help you. Maybe they would like to help you, but they really can't. They say, well, I, I wish I could help you, but I don't think I can. I don't really know what I can do to help you. Yes, I'm here and I'm sympathetic and I wish I could, but I really can't. Oh, you don't go to Jesus and find him saying, well, I'm sorry. I I wish I could help you, dear dear boy, Uh, my my son, my daughter. I wish I could help you, but I really can't. I'm all so busy at the moment. And uh, No, no, Jesus says, come to me, come unto me, all you who labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's what he says in John, Matthew 11. He says, come to me, come with confidence, come because I will help you and I can help you and I want you to come to me. He's never failed anyone yet. He's never let down anyone yet and he never will. So you've heard that Jesus died for sinners Do you trust him? You've heard that Jesus answers prayers. Do you bring your problems to him? So he comes begging Jesus with directness, earnestness, confidence. But he also comes with respect. We ought to notice verse 49 that says, Sir, come down before my child dies. He's, he's, he's earnest. He's, he's begging Jesus to come. But, he, but he, he doesn't assume that Jesus will do whatever he wants him to do. Sir, it's respect. We come with more than respect. We come with adoration. We adore him because he is God. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, Our Father which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, our Father. I come like a child to a, to, to a parent, to, to, to Father. But I come with hallowed be thy name. Confidence balanced by reverence, adoration. Thinking of who God is. He's so great, so glorious. I must come with respect, with adoration to him but he's willing to help. We ought also to note his persistence. He doesn't give up. You would think when he heard the words of Jesus in verse 48 that he would have given up. 
Jesus seems to be pushing him away. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, miracles, you will not believe. Now that seems an odd thing to say to the man who's got a son who's dying and he's come all 20 miles to see Jesus. It seems to be rather discouraging, doesn't it? A bit like Jesus saying to the woman, Mary, woman, what's this got to do with me? It's the same kind of thing. You're only seeking miracles. People are seeking miracles all the time. But what he's saying is, there are people who come to me with sh- and they're very shallow, very superficial. They just want what they can get. They don't want me, they want the gifts. They want the miracles, they want the sensations, but they don't want to yield their lives to me. And people are like that, aren't they? They want the sensation, they want the excitement. But they don't want total commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ giving their whole life and soul to him for time, for eternity. He's saying, look, look, think, think. Don't just come to me with shallowness of what you can get. Come to me with sincere faith, with sincerity, and I will receive you. And if we come with sincerity, truly conscious of our weakness and our sinfulness, realizing that he is God, And we must adore him. And yes, he can solve my problems and help me. If we come with that kind of attitude, then Jesus will receive us. And the man seemed to grasp that. He seemed to understand in some way what Jesus was getting at. So he persists. Come down. He says it all again. Come down. You must come to my house. You seem to be putting me off. But please, you've got to come. I respect you. Yes, you're sir. And we adore our God. Sometimes he seems to keep us waiting. He seems to discourage us. But keep coming. Keep being persistent in coming. Now someone will say, yes, this is all very well. I know Jesus answers prayer. I know I can come to him with all of my problems, anxieties, cares, all my sin, all my guilt. Yes, I know all that. And I have prayed to him, but he doesn't seem to answer. It seems like God has gone deaf. We all know that, don't we? Many prayers are answered. But times when he doesn't seem to be listening. He doesn't seem to want to answer. Well, the answer sometimes, Jesus sometimes gives us the answer we don't want. Sometimes he says, no, what you want isn't good for you. Sometimes he says, wait, not just yet, but in my time. What should you do then when when he seems to be saying no? Or he seems to be saying wait, and you've been praying for years or something. Praying for someone to become a Christian, many years. Praying for his strength with some ongoing illness. What should you do? Remember the promise of Jesus in Matthew 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, to the one who knocks, it will be answered. Jesus isn't playing games with us. He means it. If you ask, you will receive. With the proviso that sometimes what you ask for may not be good for you. But if it is, I'll give it to you. 
says, if you seek me, earnestly seek me, like this man, the official, you will find. And you keep knocking at my door of mercy, knocking, as it were, on the door of heaven, I will open and I will give you what you ask. Ask, seek, knock. Ask with sincerity. Ask like the official. Seek like the woman, Luke 15, who lost her coin and she's looking everywhere. She's seeking, she's searching. She must find the lost coin because it's part of a headdress given to her at her wedding. That's how to search. Knock like the man in the parable knocking at the door at midnight, the door of his friend. Open the door, give me some bread, I've got un unexpected visitors. Ask, seek, knock. So what was his problem? His son was dying. Teaches us that trouble comes to all. Sometimes death comes to the young. What does he do with that problem? He takes it to Jesus, begging him with persistence and earnestness. Goes to the Saviour. He's not put off when the Saviour seems to be pushing him away. But there's a third question, and that is. Uh, that's the things I've been telling you about, the whole list there. Go on to the next one. What happened, happens to the official's problem? Oh, Jesus solves the problem. Jesus heals the boy. That's what he came for. That's what he wanted. And Jesus grants him what he asked for. We read verse 50, Jesus says to him, Go, your son will live. 20 miles journey back to his home. Does he really believe Jesus? He's not going to find out till he gets home whether his son is healed. But he goes believing what Jesus has said. Go, your son lives. The man believed it and he's off back on his journey. He doesn't need to beg Jesus anymore. He doesn't need to be with Jesus anymore. And Jesus doesn't even need to come to his house. Maybe there was a bit of muddled thinking here. He thought, if Jesus comes to my house, he can heal my boy. He had faith enough to go to Jesus, but not faith enough to think that Jesus doesn't need to come to my house, he just has to speak the word. When he listens to Jesus and hears the words of Jesus, go, your son lives, he did believe. His faith had increased. He believed what Jesus said. He doesn't need to come to my house. We don't need to have the physical presence of Jesus here, do we? He's in heaven. He hears us. He can answer our prayers. He can give us all the strength we need and forgiveness and pardon. And uh, uh, he can be with us. He doesn't need to be here in his physical presence. And as he's getting towards home, the servants come out and says, your son is recovering. That's what Jesus said, wasn't it? Go, your son lives. He's recovering. Well, what time did he start to recover, says the father? At the seventh hour. That's one o'clock. It was at the seventh hour, one o'clock, that Jesus says, go, your son lives. 
Sarasvatot, isn't that wonderful? Jesus kept his promise, he kept his word, and he always does. Jesus has made a promise in his word, such as ask, seek, knock, he will keep it. He never breaks a promise. Isn't it sad that we all know people who have broken their promises? They said, yes, I'll do something. Yes, I'll be there. I'm there to help you. And when you ask them to help you, they're not there at all. Oh, yes, I'll be there. I'll come and see you. And they don't turn up. We all know people with broken promises. Tragically, it's happening too often, isn't it? couple make promises to one another at their marriage, their wedding, and they break their promises. They're not faithful to one another. They go off and play games with somebody else. They break their marriage promises. And it happens in every year of life. People breaking their promises. People, you ring up, yes, can you come and sort out the washing machine? Oh, yes, we'll be there tomorrow. Tomorrow comes and they never come and they never get back to you either. But Jesus is God and he is righteous and he's perfect and he's wise and good and he never ever breaks a promise and he never will. You can depend upon him to help you. Whatever your problem, whatever your situation, whatever your circumstances, you can trust him to help you. I proved that to be true over many Many years. And so the son is healed. Look at verse 53. The father knew that that was the hour, the seventh hour, when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. So the man became a believer in God, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what we call conversion. So, as I said earlier, this trouble in his life was turned to a blessing. He came to know God. All of his family too. The boy who had been healed, he came to know the Lord and no doubt his wife, assuming he had a wife still alive. All of his family, the whole household, trusted in God because they'd seen what Christ could do. man called A.W. Pink, writer I enjoy reading, says this. He lived um, early, mid, 19th, um, 19th, 20th century. Lived up in Stornoway. You don't want me to give you the story of A.W. Pink at the moment, do you? He says this. A boy was brought to the point of death so that a whole family may have eternal life. Boy was brought to the point of death so that the whole family may have eternal life. That's good. I like that comment. Verse 54 This now was the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Judah to Galilee. The first sign, turning water into wine. We looked at that this morning. The second sign, the healing, uh, the giving of life healing of the boy who was about to die. As I said this morning, this word sign means 
that the miracles of Jesus are supernatural events filled with supernatural significance. Supernatural events filled with supernatural significance. So they're saying to us, Jesus is God. Nothing whatever is beyond the power of God. You may trust him. Everything in your life, you may trust him with your eternal soul. So how can I sum it all up? The parent with a problem became a parent praising God. The parent with a problem became a parent praising God. Your problems in your life, in your family, will do what the official did and bring them at once to the Lord. Let's pray. So our God, we thank you then for this passage we've been looking at this morning and this miracle this evening. And we thank you that our glorious Saviour is God, God in human flesh who walked on earth and he who turned water into wine and healed the dying boy can help us too. Help us to come to you in every situation, in all our circumstances, O oh God. And uh, if we are parents with children, grandchildren, uh, they have problems, difficulties, we praise you that we can bring our children, grandchildren to you and pray for them because you can help them too as you help the son of this uh, high-ranking, wealthy official. So help us to store up in our minds the lessons of these two miracles we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.